So this week, I'm very excited to learn more about your childhood, Ben, your upbringing, and what really influences you today from the kind of early days. Last week, I obviously was explaining and sharing my journey, my upbringing in Germany, my kind of childhood that still influences me today. The early influences that I now understand I really got in wellness and understanding of wellness and well-being and living a healthy lifestyle. How do you think my childhood upbringing compared to yours? Because we're not from the same country, but we're definitely in a close proximity. How do you see like similarities or differences? What was it for you? Obviously, I know you very well. And from what you shared last week, um, I think our childhoods were completely different. Um, and we'll get into more of the wellness and well-being thread through mine, which I think in a traditional sense, didn't really exist or wasn't I wasn't conscious of as a child growing up but yeah just grew up uh, small town outside of London uh, grew up in the countryside um, spent a lot of time playing in the fields my dad worked on a farm my grandma lived on a farm so we were constantly you know just ch children running around playing climbing trees breaking bones scratching your legs getting into mischief um, potato guns digging up worms just yeah, interacting, you know, putting stones up your nose, you know, I always remember that story. My mom said I got a stone stuck up my nose and she nearly had a heart attack. But uh, yeah, falling off your bike, it was just a lot of outdoor. And whilst I liked school, there was nothing more for me than playing and doing sports and just being outside was um, nothing to distract us at age. There were no TVs, certainly no internet, etc. So it was just a just remember just being outside but didn't and even now I don't really tie it to kind of a wellness or well-being kind of strategy it was just being a kid I think we actually found a common denominator because like I was explaining I needed to be outside I wanted to be outside I was very active and just being in nature and a connection to nature always made me feel really calm and I feel like I could power myself out so I feel like that really sounds like a very similar kind of experience that we had there. Yeah, and I think the one, probably the one difference is that it, for you, it energized you. For me, it exhausted me. And from a young age, I had a couple of minor kind of health issues. One was I used to get ferocious nosebleeds um, to the point it was almost hospitalization to have it kind of cauterized mm. and stopped. Grew out of that in, I don't know what age I was, six or seven. And then weirdly it developed into getting migraines. And typically I'd get a migraine on a Monday morning. So I would have played Friday, Saturday, Sunday, exhausted myself. And then come Monday, I would get a migraine. And even to this day, I know that if I've overdone it at the weekend, typically I can feel it early in the week. Don't get migraines quite so often, but I, I still do get them. So definitely it was fuel that had a consequence for me whereas for you i think it was a stacking of of energy or energies that's really interesting how kind of the same element like being in nature and playing around and putting out energy can affect you in a different way what do you think um what else in your childhood was something that was quite pivotal what were some early memories that you feel like really influenced you today either positively or negatively, that shaped your character. Is there anything that you can think of uh, that is like a, a real key point for you? 
Yeah, I mean, lots of things happened in my childhood growing up. Um, the big, biggest one is I started, lost my father when I was nine years old. And again, at the time, you you don't really know what that means. And even to this day, it's because I was quite young. I've just lived with it my whole life. So you can't say I'm this person because of that or I would have been this person if that didn't happen. So it it's really hard to pinpoint. But I always say the journey that I'm on and all the things that have happened have led me to where I am today. So it's just been my life. So I don't sit there thinking about it, thinking about how my life could be different. I've gone through life to this date and used that as, you know, obviously times of sadness and despair, but also motivation to propel me to, you know, to where we are today, sitting in beautiful Scottsdale, Arizona, doing our own podcast, running our own architecture and design business. So obviously hugely pivotal on a kind of disastrous sense. On the flip side, it also was a time when my stepdad came into my life, who's an architect. So, you know, you can stack those two together or against each other. And I'm sitting here, as I just mentioned, as an architect in Scottsdale, Arizona. So there's just things that happen in your life that you can use as as fuel and motivation and, and tools. And that's that's what I feel that I've done. When I explained last week as well, these moments that I felt like I fell off track, I kind of felt derooted. For me, it was much later in life. I almost was th thinking now that I was a bit more the catalyst myself, where you were maybe given certain circumstances that caused it for you. But I think the similarity with both of us in that is that we gained strength and we almost beca yeah, became a stronger person from that moment on. When you were talking about your startup coming into life, obviously our journey has been for like 16 years together, so I know you very well. I also know that that was a very pivotal moment for you to be introduced to architecture, as you mentioned. Can you remember that very first memory of architecture and design, what it meant for you and what you were exploring to see if this is something that you want to go into as a career? Yeah, I hadn't hadn't been exposed to architecture before. As I mentioned, my dad was an artist, as well as working on the farm, and he was always drawing. And coincidentally, his drawings he did were with architectural technical pens. So there's a connection there. He used to do these abstract, almost comedy, black and white drawings with um, ink pens. And then the next time I saw those pens was when my stepdad would be, you know, drawing architectural drawings on tracing paper on a drawing board in the dining room. So there was a connection there. Never thought about architecture. Didn't really probably know what it was at that age, 10, 11, 12. I'd had this desire at one point to be a chef. My mom had trained in catering. She was a great cook, still is to this day. I liked cooking with her. Same with my grandma. Grandma was a great cook. So cooking and food was always around me. So in, if I can think back to those early days, I seem to think I would be leaning into becoming a chef. Then when my stepdad came into my life, I remember at home and in his office seeing these amazing drawings that just seemed to take this precision and accuracy and and dedication and I was fascinated by it to the point where for I think it was my 12th birthday or 12th Christmas 
I asked for a, my own little drawing board and some tracing paper and, and technical pens, and that was it for me. I, I got hooked. I would spend hours just initially not doing my own designs, but tracing over his designs or designs from his office, just learning that craft of using the technical pens and scratching stuff out and starting again. I I found it very difficult to begin with, and I was a bit of a perfectionist. If it went wrong, I would sort of throw a tantrum and rip it up and start again. But that developed that that passion for me and that idea about being precise. And I think at that time, it was more about creating the drawing than it was about the building that I was working on. So that's something I definitely have developed later in my career. It sounds like there was a good mixture of creative influence and artistic influence but then like we were expressing with the technical pens and thinking back to what i said last week is similar for me combining the creativity with something technical with the photography i was interested in you then develop more the technical side is that how your career in architecture really started is the more technical thinking and you then developed it more into the artistic side Yes, my sister's a phenomenal drawer. My dad was a great artist. Um, my uncle, other uncles, great at drawing. In a typical sense, you know, they can draw something and it looks like what you're drawing. I never, for some reason, really had that skill set. I think part of it was a confidence thing. So I, I don't, and I think I was a bit of a perfectionist. So if it didn't look right, I didn't want to show it. So therefore, I didn't practice and didn't develop that skill set. And But there was something for me with the technical, with using the ruler and that uh, discipline of having that structure of straight lines, the pens, the rulers. I developed a skill set which also has an artistic element to it. Everybody's drawings look slightly different, even though you're using the same tool. So um, definitely started to lean into the technical side of things. And as I... I wasn't unacademic, but I didn't apply myself very well. I think I've got pretty, you know, decent level or had a decent level of intelligence and I just didn't have the discipline to apply myself. I was much more into sports growing up at school and so lent into, um, you know, continuing my education, not through the traditional uh, studies of doing what it's called in, in the UK A-levels but more into a sort of vacation and I was a uh, vocation, sorry, learning about the technical side of architecture. Now you're obviously very accomplished on the artistic side, on the technical side, and also on the business side. Is that something that you saw early on in your career, that kind of business interest in it as well, and that that maybe took you a little bit more from that just strictly academic because you've seen a bit of a bigger picture of that profession? Is that something that relates to you that you can? Yeah, no, it's really hard because you look back and whilst you're in the middle of your of your life and you're you're moving and propelling yourself forward, it's really hard. But when I look back, sort of stacking all of those skill sets on top of each other, I, for some reason, straight after college, after I finished my studies, I worked on my stepdad's company for a year or so and then partly him kicking me out to go and get a different experience and then me wanting to go and work in central London. I, I work for an architectural firm there, but about a year in, I I got frustrated with it. I I wanted to have 
more control and I wanted to be more involved and I didn't just want to be a cog in the wheel. And I felt like I had a skill set, especially through communication and the way I could speak to people and put up good arguments and convince people. I felt like I was wasting my skill set even at a young age. So at then what was I, 22? I mean, who was I? I was 22 years old, but I couldn't take it and I quit. And I worked for a developer for a while, which was great because that was hands-on. It was partly doing designs, but also I was in the field, you know, sometimes on the roof, building the roofs with the roofer. So it gave me a, a good understanding of you know, taking those drawings and what they actually represent in reality. So that was a that was a good eye opener for me. But um, I think by the time I was 25, I was pretty much working on my own, had my own sort of small business. Um, I was my stepdad did guarantee me some hours a week to sort of help pay the bills. But I straight away had that kind of entrepreneurial spirit of wanting to do this myself. And I don't know where that came from. I don't know what the drive was. I think partly, probably things that happened in my childhood influenced it a bit. But it was always for me, if I if I went for it, then it was, there was, failure wasn't an option. It was like, no, I'm doing this and I'm going to succeed. And just, just, I've lived that way ever since. Last week I was sharing that for me, my life was always very purpose-driven. Once I kind of found my niche I wanted to be in, and I can really hear that with you too, how you're describing that once you knew what you on the path you were on that you were going to go for it and there was no there was no like you were saying stopping or questioning do you feel like there was an early purpose in this in this in this profession in the the way you've chosen the business side as well understanding the development do you feel like there was a purpose you were connecting with it at the time or did that come rather later I, I honestly don't. I don't think. <clears throat> I don't think I had a purpose at that stage in my life. I think it was a mixture of, I think, a bit of arrogance. I think there was a desire not to conform and not to just do what seemingly everybody else does. You know, to match the status quo for some reason. A bit I got, of a rebel. Kind of a rebel, but it was more. It was more personal to me for some reason. It was about. I felt if I wasn't following the herd, then somehow that probably gave me some attention without asking for attention because I was actually quite shy. I didn't really like attention, wasn't actually that confident. So a lot of these things are contradiction to each other. Grew up with a lot of anxiety through my teens and early 20s. And somehow I was doing something that was continually putting me in the firing line, whether you know, you, I was the one, it was me, I was the one, if anything went wrong, my, my head was on the chopping block. So I actually don't think I had any purpose other than trying to do something for myself. So I think it was some self-preservation and also I think probably because of the events that had happened in my childhood, it was me wanting to take control. It was like I can control myself and my life and of course you can only do that to a degree but that's what it felt like to me so that was me I think protecting myself and saying I'm going to be in control of my own destiny and therefore I don't want to work for anybody else I don't want to hear what anybody else is saying is like this is it and of course you will work for yourself but you need clients so therefore of course you're working for somebody else so it's kind of a, an illusion at the in a way but 
um, it, it worked, you know, and it propelled me from a young age of early 20s to getting a lot of experience, you know, failing, learning, picking yourself back up, putting yourself in the firing line. So I felt I grew pretty quickly in a, in a business sense. Because obviously you were quite early on involved in the practicality of it. It wasn't just a creative outlet. It wasn't just looking at studies. You were really in the real world, what we were explaining early on, especially with being part of developments, hands-on building, building, seeing the structures coming together. So I feel like that's a really good base for taking a lot of uh, reality into the, into the world. We met in 2007 in England. I touched on that I was in the States before, then I moved to England, and then we met through work. At what point do you feel like in your career you were when we met, and what has shifted kind of around the time we met for you in business and architecture, or maybe in the way you were thinking about your profession, and a bit about yeah, kind of your life plans? So shortly before we met, I, I'd wrestled a bit with the field of architecture. I'd worked for the developer. I liked the idea of being a developer. I felt like you were creating something. And I also saw that there was potentially more financial upside in that. So I started thinking about how I could pursue that a little bit more. Weirdly, going back to what I said earlier about not conforming i also didn't want or didn't like the title of an architect i thought it put me in a box and it was therefore you know going to be like oh ben's an architect so therefore he's this type of person or he does these type of things and in one way it didn't really matter because the studies i had done at that time were more in um it was architectural technology so i wasn't actually technically in the letter of the law and architect I was practicing in that field but in the UK unlike America you don't have to have an architectural license to practice architecture certainly in some uh, fields so I was in this place of what do I want to do do I want to be an architect do I want to be in development and then I thought well I was back then actually working on my stepdad's company uh, gone through a conversation with him about okay we need to think about legacy there's a company here that I could potentially take over stroke inherit one day what does that look like and it was like well you need to get your feet on the ground early and start building myself into the company and this was going to be a way off you know 10 15 20 years down the line but a, a time for me to start sort of getting into the to the family business which I think at the time we met, I was an associate partner, and I was trying to find ways to build my legacy into the company and find a way to take it forward, seeing what had already been done and finding ways to influence, improve, um, look at ways where we could go into different sectors or industries that might be more profitable. Um, so that's kind of where, where I was at when we met. I remember that uh, actually thinking about there was a lot of kind of heritage, history and kind of knowledge there. But then your new ideas, and I think that what attracted me really to this company too, is that 
you injected that new thinking, you injected that thinking outside of the box of architecture. You were thinking about all the different facets, about creativity, but development, like you were saying. My sense was that you were always very interested in making the projects come to life. You were never just someone that was satisfied with a very good-looking drawing. You wanted to make sure that the buildings could be built, that they were serving people, um, that they were just put into reality. Is that does that resonate? Do you feel like that was from your yeah from your side too? I think ultimately, as designers or architects, we want to see things come to life. Otherwise, I describe it not knocking it, but you're basically an artist. You're just drawing pictures that if they don't get built, they're just pieces of art. And of course, concepts and things that don't get built happens all the time, sadly. But yeah, I was very proactive. I wanted to see you know things come to life. And I wanted. I don't. I don't know at the time. If I really knew, but I wanted to be involved in projects that had a bit of meaning or substance behind them that had had something of value. It wasn't just about us making money. It was something that had an impact. So I can't really f frame it fully at that age, but um, I th I sort of look back now and start to think, oh yeah, no. I have always been somebody's hugely like connection with people. Always had a huge group of friends. One thing we didn't touch on before, but I grew up playing field hockey in the UK, which in Europe's a, a huge sport. I know in the US it's not as big and it's actually more of a, a female sport in uh, in the US. So I know when I tell people here about field hockey, they sort of give me a slight side eye look like, really? But uh, in Europe, it's huge. I think it's the third most played sport in Europe. It was um, very popular in Germany, too. Yeah, Germany, um, Holland, um, and then South Africa, India, Pakistan, Australia, New Zealand. So it is big. But um, just stepping back to that, because that was a huge part of my life, was being a member of this club. And it was like one giant family to me where... I had friends um, that, you know, ranged from 15 years old to 70 years old. And it was just this family community where you played sport together and you socialized together. In the UK, you drank fairly heavily together. And it was just, you know, it was a big part of the fabric of our town uh, and the community. And I absolutely loved it. When I went to university, I didn't play hockey because I didn't want to play for another team. So that's how much it meant to me. And just a huge part of my life uh, from the age of probably 14 to 36 when we moved to America. Yeah, when we met, you were still very involved in, in hockey and it was really a big passion. And I can really relate with that community that you were mentioning. When you think about like health and wellness in your lifestyle, how do you feel like the, the community aspect influenced you in your wellness choices or lifestyle choices? Is that something that pivoted in one direction to the healthier side or, or another. Obviously, sports is a very healthy thing. What else do you feel like was an influence there? Before I met you, I don't think I really thought about wellness or well-being in any deep context. For me, playing a bit of sport was a way to keep some level of kind of fitness, but it was for me the playing of sport was less about fitness and it was more about that i love playing sport so that was one it was that team aspect in the competition of winning but also 
the community and what, like I mentioned earlier, what came in that side of the community was a lot of socializing. So it was actually on some levels from a pure health aspect, not very healthy because, you know, we would party or drink pretty heavily after a game and it was great. I mean, never wouldn't change a thing. Memories that last a lifetime, but you know, sport was just a way to, you know, burn some calories and, you know, partake, partake in something that had a, a team and community aspect. So um, wouldn't always love playing sports. So there was an ingrained nature for me to want to play, but I didn't ever see sport as a way of keeping great health or a great physique, which I never achieved through that level of sport. Would you think that it's more of a matter of age as well, that at that time, at a certain age, you don't need to worry about certain things as much as we do now? Was that an aspect too, or is it just really yeah. not having that consciousness or having had that consciousness around? I think both. There wasn't a huge consciousness around it, but just, yeah, in the, especially in the 20s and early 30s, didn't really think about it. I mean, I think as you get slightly older into late 20s, 30s, you start thinking, oh, this probably isn't something you can do all the time, but it was overridden by the social connection and the aspect of, and also the FOMO was like, would never miss a Saturday night out. I mean, it would like, there would have to be an earth shattering moment for me to have not gone out for that social occasion. And um, so, yeah, really, really didn't pay attention to, to health and wellness. And as I mentioned, I had a lot of anxiety in my twenties and, drinking alcohol relieved it at the time but compounded it the next day or the following day so it really was a double-edged sword for me it gave me that um, confidence and that way to be social and really part of a close-knit group of guys but and girls but um, yeah really for me personally uh, not great for my mental health when we met, like you were explaining, you had a huge kind of circle of friends and just a really big network around you. And I really enjoyed that because for me coming to England, like I explained last week, I've never been to the country before. When I decided to go and be interviewed at the company you work with, it was a complete leap of faith. Today, sitting here, we know that that was totally meant to be. It was what got us on the path we're on now. That's kind of where we met, where that synergy happened, where we decided that what our path is, what our purpose is, what we want to be on. But it was really, for me, your big network was really helpful because it made me feel very welcome. It made me feel very welcome in the in a new country. Going back a little bit to obviously the time we were talking like we met, where we were at in the company, we explained last week that quite early on we had that synergy, but also felt like we wanted to do something outside of the constraint of an existing company because we felt like there was something there that we had as a base that we really wanted to express ourselves and each other and our viewpoints of architecture and design, the synergy coming, coming together. Do you want to touch a little bit on that path and how that connection, that company that we've built also got us to the States and then we can continue and see kind of how the architectural influences continued here? It was at a time when in my mind, my path was set. You know, we had got together and we had this long sort of, how do I explain it? Um, I guess path again or structure for how I was going to ultimately 
take over the business with my from my stepdad and for numerous reasons our desire direction and unity didn't really allow space in that company for that to happen so um, I remember it was Christmas 2009 I think we both walked away and said we need to go and do our own thing which obviously was a huge decision um, both personally because of the unknown but then obviously the disruption it caused to family relationships so it was a it was a difficult and exciting time all at once and it's been amazing looking back that every time I've been pushed I've always managed to have that drive and determination to make it work there's like I mentioned earlier there's no there's no chance of failure it's like I'll do whatever it takes and as I've got older now I'm rather looking for opportunities for me to push myself rather than waiting for somebody else to do it. So that comes a bit back to, you know, not when you're pushed, you've got no choice. You like you, you crumble or you stand up. And I've always stood up when you've got to make that to self, that decision yourself is tricky because if you fail or fall down, then people are going to look at you and go, Hey, well, you made that decision and you failed. If you're pushed, then you can always fall back on like, yeah, this was tricky, that thing happened. Therefore, you can kind of push the, the blame to somebody else. So so going back to that time, it was it was tricky. And like most small companies, I remember we started, we built a small office in our spare bedroom and, you know, tried to, you know, bring some clients in, which was tricky. And I always remember we had, it was January 20, 2010. We had enough money to pay our, mortgage by the to the end of february so we had to find in the first two months enough money basically just to start being able to pay our mortgage and um it was hard in the beginning i mean tiny jobs anything you know a few hundred pounds or dollars per project it, it was absolutely nothing and but we just persevered you know my mum i remember actually my mum bailed us out one month where we really couldn't pay the mortgage and and that was it but I think you get rewarded or for us we believe the universe rewards you or helps you when your intentions are good and you really are trying and working hard at it and one of the most amazing things i i recall or remember back at that time is that just before we'd separated from my stepdad's company we'd gone to a, a networking event in central london and we got out the tube station at old street and we walk into this event and at that time, we'd been looking for an office as a satellite office for that company. And I remember we walked past and there was this beautiful glass building that was lit up. And I remember, I can still remember the number, 140 Old Street. And it was really modern glass and it had this kind of purple LED neon light around it. And it was kind of dusk or nighttime. And I remember us both saying, wow, wouldn't it be cool to have an office like that one day? And fast forward about three weeks or four weeks, we'd started on our own. A structural engineer that we'd worked with previously phoned me up and said, oh, I saw you've left the company. What are you doing? And we, I said, we've set up on our own, just working you know, out of our home at the moment, but ultimately looking for an office space in London. And he said, well, we've got loads of space in our office. Why don't you come down and take a look? And lo and behold, where was it? It was in that exact building we'd walked past four weeks ago. And you can't make this up. This was out of all the buildings in London we could have spoken about, aspired to be, it was in that space. And 
I so vividly still remember that moment standing in front of that glass building looking up. It's just yeah. crazy. And it was amazing. So we took two desks, I remember, and I also remember that for about the first six months, we couldn't afford the train fare into central London to go work there. So we had the address, but we didn't necessarily have the resources to go there. But that's what you do. I mean, this is this is what's made us resilient and, you know, got us to this point that we're at today. And um, yeah, it's it's not been easy and there's been a lot of sacrifices, but yeah. I mentioned last week that I always have that feeling that we're pulling on the same string. And obviously, this, this experience you're describing, you got to pull on the same string to grow from there and to, to build from there. London really shaped me. For me, it was a really big experience after coming from Frank Lloyd Wright, from an experience in the desert, and then going back to Europe, just in an environment with a lot of old buildings, heritage, existing buildings, way smaller spaces. How do you feel like that background? Obviously, for me, it was new. It wasn't my back the background I've grown up with, not the environment I've grown up in. How did that influence you in terms of architecture? Is that something that you can understand today being a different environment as well, that there was something that shaped you quite early on from that upbringing, from that environment? Definitely. I spent most of my career working on existing buildings. It was about how can we repurpose, remodel, reuse um, existing spaces, especially in central London, where land is at a huge premium. There wasn't that much of it. And there's a fair amount of historic buildings that were preserved, so you couldn't just tear them down. So, But I was always fascinated about even if it was a beautiful or historic building that had almost fallen into disrepair to the point where it technically you could have justified pulling it down to give that building a new lease of life and a, a second third fourth chapter is just it's so rewarding and i've always said that for me is the first tenant of sustainability is actually trying to reuse or preserve an existing building and you do that by creating things that are built to last you know if you start with the the mindset that this is going to be multi-generational building piece of furniture whatever it might be nowadays we need to make them very flexible in order to do that so um, and that's on sadly why you see so many buildings being torn down is because there was no foresight about how things might change or how people might live work socialize differently in the future and therefore that that building doesn't allow that to happen through conversion or change so um, yeah just yeah always always been about you know reusing repurposing and transforming taking that eyesore from the corner of a street or a block and turning it into this new magnificent property that's now the talk of the town and becomes a, a central part of the community i feel like that's something that we still are really excited today is giving structures that wouldn't really exist anymore would usually be torn down is to just really revive them what always makes me think about is something that you mentioned in that context is that there's more interesting spaces you create with something that's existing and you repurpose it than, some, than you would have thought of if you built something from scratch. There's different, I guess, proportions, uses. Is that, that, because that's something that I feel like you still relate to today that really drives you 
of something unique that you can create with existing structures. Yeah, when we're designing new buildings, it's all about efficiency, efficiency of cost, efficiency of space, making sure that every space has a real purpose or use or you can just justify it somehow. When you're converting an existing building, often things don't pan out exactly as they would if you were designing it from scratch. So you end up with these unique spaces that you would never design in if it was a new build construction, but just happen to need to be incorporated into this space. And that's what makes them unique. It's it's not just a perfect square box with everything with its own little home. You get these unique places, whether it's in a hotel or a gathering space. So I, I love that. I love creating these, yeah, this uniqueness through that. We've been about two years in, in London, having our own business, focusing more on commercial buildings at the time. When one April it happened to be my 40th birthday and I took you, well, actually you took me to Arizona on a trip. For me, it was the first time coming back for a while. For you, it was the first time in Arizona. Do you remember what it felt like for you coming from the background you've come from growing up outside of London in a smaller town, English countryside, smaller spaces, and then setting your foot into the US for the first time, coming to Arizona for the first time. Do you remember that experience? I can. It was so vastly different from anything I'd ever experienced before. I traveled um, to Australia, I traveled around Europe a lot, but there was just something specifically Arizona because of the vast landscape, but just America as a whole, just everything's bigger. Cars are bigger, streets are wider. Everything was just supersized to me. And I remember the first few days, even our brother-in-law was saying to me, is everything okay? Because I didn't speak very much. I, was, I remember that. <laughs> I was so just trying to take it all in. It was, it was kind of overload, this stimulus, the just trying to compute and relate it back to the the life I'd had and, or was having back in in England and uh, yeah it was it was vastly vastly different were there any architectural observations you had Arizona is, ve is very specific architecturally because of the landscape you were expressing and then it's a it's a very different environment is there anything that architecturally sprang out to you at the time that excited you or you were kind of not sure of um I love the way that in Arizona, everything was built out of the landscape, especially in the more residential areas. They often you can hardly see them and then you get a little bit of elevation and before you know it, you can see these whole kind of estates of homes. So, and I think that was the Frank Lloyd Wright influence about, you know, building with nature and not against it. And the colors that they used made it very subtle to blend into the desert. Now living here that long, I do get a little kind of bored with the beige it's, it's like everything's kind of beige you know there's there's still opportunity to be be unique and respectful of the desert at the same time but um yeah i i loved it um yeah it was a it was it was eye-opening and i more than that i fell in love with arizona instantly just because of two things one is the natural beauty here the sunshine obviously coming from london that's missing a lot of the year and then just this ability to be who you want to be there was just this feeling of freedom here in the united states that was very different from the culture in which i had grown up in where 
especially in smaller towns where everybody knows each other it's it, it can be hard at time not to be judged or commented on especially if you want to do something different or you go on a new path so i found it very easy just to be swallowed up here and in a way nobody cares about you you just be who you are everyone was very open talk to anyone just just be yourself and that was the first time i'd really felt that and felt this kind of sense of freedom so for me going back earlier about not wanting to fit into the status quo this was the perfect place for me because now you can just yeah be who you want to be i mean you're really describing a very similar feeling that i was touching on last week is that sense of freedom that everything is possible the american dream so we definitely aligned aligned on that and arizona had that same that same impact on us like we were describing that first time we came here together was two years in having our own company from that point on i think we came probably once or twice a year until one year we really took that leap of faith and decided to move to arizona which was a really big deal because we started building our business in England, like you were describing, it was for me, even though as much as I loved Arizona at the time, I wasn't really thinking about ever moving back here because I found you in Europe, Europe was our place to stay, but we did that move. What was your, what do you feel like was your motivation behind that? What was your fear doing it? And what opportunities did you see professionally for us to take that leap of faith? It's funny, and this is one of those moments between being pushed or making your own choice, and we made our own choice. I, We joked about it in the beginning, and then we sort of, I remember we used to say, oh, maybe one day we'll, we'll work on a project here, or maybe this is somewhere we could retire to. Fast forward three months, we were fully immersed in, like, how on earth do we get to America? And I remember going through that first visa process, which was like a full-time job in and of itself. but one of those moments where I set my mind to something it was like I'm not giving up until we achieve that and we achieved it first time around I wasn't fearful I was extremely excited the big challenge I think was leaving behind in a way a life that had been very familiar and routine to me and especially connection to family I knew that was going to be a difficult conversation which you know was um, but also saw it as an opportunity to, you know, expand the world and horizon for my family too, not them directly coming to live here, but just it gave a new dimension to, to the family. So although I knew it would be hard, and you also felt it was very much the right thing to do. So just went for it. And uh, yeah, just was just super excited about something that I never in my wildest dreams thought I would be doing two years earlier we were I had my life planned for the next 40 or 50 years you know we're gonna build the previous company up and and you know live our lives there another element that definitely influenced it was I guess speaks a little bit of wellness and well-being was that that journey and grind of working and living in central not living but you know working in central London we knew I mean our commute every day was you know pretty extensive we're going to lose probably two hours of our day every day traveling um, 
probably unlikely that we would ever want to live in central London one because it's it's a lot and also two it's really expensive so that was all decisions we started to weigh up and lifestyle played a huge part of it and you know the weather I can't deny the weather was a with was a huge draw to come to Arizona the weather is, uh, it's so different from where we come from, like you explained, and we enjoy it every day. I feel like now we're still saying, we sometimes pinch ourselves saying we live like we feel, we live in our vacation that we used to be, and it's still a vacation with more responsibilities and different, but it still is that vacation feeling. What was the, when we go back a little bit to health and wellness, was there anything moving to Arizona, being a bit more in an environment connected to nature? Is there anything that evoked health and wellness for you through that move? Is there anything that changed your viewpoint on that now that we kind of obviously understand wellness a little bit more? Was there anything at the time, any routines or lifestyle elements that changed through that move? There was a, definitely a desire to be, spend more time outside, but looking back, I, no, I think I was still very much living the old version of me where socializing, building community outweighed and coming with that was, you know, sometimes an excess in drinking or eating outweighed my desire to have a truly kind of wellness lifestyle or uh, uh, sorry maybe not a truly wellness lifestyle is the wrong way to explain it a balanced balancing those two things whereas you you've always been much more balanced you know when to stop or say no or not tonight the the desire of that friendship community especially being new in in the country was was more important to me than saying you know i'm going to protect my mental health or my physical health so um probably not to be honest one thing I want to touch on that happened fairly early when we arrived, so pretty much after sort of three years of coming here, was a significant health challenge that you've gone through or that happened to you. We don't really know if it was, well, we think it was stress, very much stress related. Can you take us a little bit through that journey? What happened, how that influenced what your lifestyle is today and what really were kind of your emotions at the time? During that time, and like you said, being fairly new in the country, it was just about working, 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 building a reputation, getting our name out there, doing whatever it took, working 60, 70, 80 hours a week, which looking back was extremely unhealthy. But again, talking to the path they were on and where we are now, these are all things that have got us to here. So I'm not knocking it. I'm just saying that it wasn't sustainable. And during that time, it was Christmas 2017, um, we'd unfortunately lost our jobs, which had other ripple on effects out of the blue. So we were in a bit of a, a, I mean, we'd been very stressed at work and now we were put in a very stressful situation, not knowing if we were able to stay in the country. And we didn't have any jobs. We didn't have any money coming in. And I remember it was, it was in between the Christmas and New Year period. I think it was right in the middle, the 28th of December. And I woke up that morning. I remember we were needing to have a call with, a, with an attorney or something like that. And I woke up 
and my right eye was a little blurry and I remember going into the bathroom splashing some water into it and nothing happened I was like that's kind of weird and but didn't really pay that much attention to it and as the morning went on it seemed to progressively get a little worse to the point where I was like I'm not sure this is right I remember your family were in town too and they were all sort of like oh don't worry you're just stressed don't worry about it and I thought no so we I remember your sister drove me up to uh, opticians or optometrists and um, I explained what was going on and he said let me take a look and I remember the words he said yeah I can't really see him what's I can't see what's going on your eyeball is full of blood and that obviously initially you're just like what you know this then you start to you know get really worried so he said yeah you need to go and see a retina specialist right now so it was tricky because we were in that slow period between Christmas and the year but there was one open went to a specialist sat in the waiting room for hours guy saw me said the same thing can't see what's going on your eyes full of blood but he knew at that point my eye had hemorrhaged basically didn't know if it was a retinal detachment a tear either way it needed to be sorted out he he sort of gave me two options I mean it was at the end of the day he said you can come in tomorrow and we can operate which would mean us going into the eye clearing out the the blood and the fluid and and seeing what's going on and making the repair but it obviously comes with a risk he said also it could be that we wait for the the blood to drain out the eye and then we see what's going on and uh, we decided on the latter because at that point I didn't really know what was going on didn't want to risk having you know surgery in the eye if I didn't really need it and then New Year's Day we went for breakfast and it actually some of the draining had happened and I started to see a little clear out of that eye I was still worried and I remember we were driving to breakfast on New Year's Day and I sneezed and it just kind of erupted again and that I remember getting really anxious I phoned the doctor's office spoke to a specialist you know they nothing much they could do anyway fast forward I think it was day after New Year's Day Went to the retina specialist. They could finally see into their eye. He said, yeah, you've got detached retina. There's a tear. Um, it's hemorrhage. We need to do surgery straight away. So next day I went in for surgery. Had surgery on the right eye. Um, they lasered it all back together. Um, I remember the doctor saying, yeah, I've got a really large tear in the, in the at the bottom of my, my right eye in the in the retina. And, you know, he was... He was a little concerned about its success um, to enable the healing process to be secure. They put a silicon oil into my eyeball. So I can, after a while, you can't see out the eyes like looking through olive oil, which is there to put the, uh, hold everything in place. So spend the next, I think that was due to be in for three months into that right eye. I remember, I remember during the process, asking like why this may have happened um they said they often don't know sometimes it happens a bit with age he thought i was quite young for it to happen and he said look we'll just keep monitoring it three months time you'll need to come in and have the oil removed under another surgery so um and he said it can happen in the other eye if it's happened in one then it's it's possible that it can happen in the other eye and uh so those three months went past, obviously extremely anxious, didn't know if I was going to leave my eyesight. Technically at that point could only really see out one eye. We would just start our own company, so we were we were right amongst it. I was studying my architectural exams, I was setting up a business with you, and uh, we were trying to um, 
yeah, just to survive in this world. And um, it, it was a challenging time. Went in, had the surgery, had the oil taken out, went in for the checkup the next day. Everything was clear. It was good. One thing I didn't really understand is that during that type of surgery, they damage your lens. So basically, I formed a cataract straight away. So I couldn't actually see that well out of the repaired eye. So I knew I was going to have to have that surgery done. And then he sort of said, you know, we'll come and see me. I'll send you to a different specialist and you can come and see me in, you know, a few months and we'll just keep track of it. And then I remember we got back to the office and we were in a meeting and I remember having these flashes in my left eye. And I said to Anissa, I think it's happening in my left eye. And she, I remember you saying. Yeah, I was saying, I think you're just really nervous. And it's uh, because the doctor said it can happen. You're almost making it up. I didn't take it that serious. And I was also thinking, it, this can't be real. Right. <laughs> this can't be real. And lo and behold, went into the doctors the next day. Uh, my actual, my surgeon was on vacation, so one of his colleagues looked at it and poked around and said, yeah, there's, um, you've got a small detachment occurring in your left eye. And I think two days later, I was back on the operating table having my left eye taken care of. And that time it was really challenging because now I had oil in my left eye. Um, my right eye, I couldn't see great. I remember going to my one of my architectural exams and I had to wear two pairs of glasses just to get the vision right for the screen. So I've got um, a great picture of you. Obviously not funny at the time, but now no. when we look back and we go back to that journey we've been through, you look at that picture of your double glasses, the magnifying glasses, the stacked books to get it any closer to you. It was a challenge. And I mean, I remember people would say to me, oh, yeah, but you're an architect. You know, it'd be horrendous if you went blind. I was like, yeah, but it would just generally be horrendous for anybody to go blind, irrelevant of their profession. So I got the sentiment of what they were saying to me. But at the time, I wasn't thinking about architecture. I was just about keeping my eyesight, but held it together. Went through, I think that year I had seven or eight surgeries on my eyes. I had the, you know, multiple retina surgeries. I had the cataract implants put in my eyes and 2018 was just a year of it but another thing just it was one of those not I'm not going to fail I'm just going to get through this and keep going and keep going and keep going excuse me and then we did we we persevered and you know here I am touch with so grateful that my eyesight for the most part is pretty amazing my left eye unfortunately suffered some damage but it doesn't affect my day-to-day -day life doesn't affect doing my job doesn't affect playing golf um so i'm extremely grateful but it was a tough time but another experience that's just made me stronger i want to dig a little deeper if you don't mind since we're talking about wellness well-being kind of mental strength is there anything you can think back at the time that you were thinking gave you the strength to pull through to not give up to have faith that you're going to be good coming out on the other side is can you think of anything is there any memory there if there was something particular that could help someone else in a moment like that as a safety anchor it was a real mixture of emotions at times i didn't i was extremely anxious panicked about it really at times i'd wake up in the night i remember needing to turn the light on just to check I, in the darkness i could see so there were you know i always remember the the clock on the on the nightstand I would that would be my test to make sure my eyes are right can I look and see the clock and that was I would do that regularly this this check you know this went actually on a few like 
almost until recently, I would yeah. say, because I always ask you, is there something that you still really fear, fear about this coming back or happening again or anything happening? Yeah, and then in terms of, I don't think I had any, I remember doing a lot of, um, what was the meditation app that we used to do a lot? With, uh, Headspace. Headspace. I remember there was one on there about injury and recovering from that. And I did that a lot because it put things in perspective. It definitely, there was one where it very much concentrating on putting sort of golden or warm light to that part of your body and just imagining it healing and repairing and kind of serving you and you looking after yourself and your body. So that was good. But then it also helped perspective on sometimes how long things take to heal and recover and just giving you that kind of patience through meditation about going through the phases and cycles of recovery from illness or repair of an injury so I, I use that a lot but yeah it was no easy ride and then just the drive to with you know supporting you and the business it was just like just gotta gotta get through this this is this is our world um so yeah, that's really what, what kept me going. Often when we experience these really hard moments when it comes to our health and health deterioration, something really unexpected happening, is when we have to make a change in terms of lifestyle. Often the foods we're eating. What was your, was there a moment or a change that you consciously made, had to make that either a doctor told you or that you found out about yourself? Is there anything that changed from that point on where more consciousness came into your lifestyle decisions? I know at that time I, I definitely slowed down on alcohol for a while in the beginning, but to be honest, that was fairly short-lived after I kind of recovered. This, this desire for me for connection and community has always outweighed my ability to do ultimately what I know is right for me, um, certainly with around you know, alcohol or eating or dedication to fitness and exercise always still worked out, but it was more of a something I felt I needed to do and should do just to maintain some sort of level of health. And then with food, it's kind of, it's been a knock on effect with me. Alcohol does so many negative things to me. It's like I said, it's, it's very good in the moment for making me really unwind, loosen up. But when I'm under stress, it straight away has the negative effect to it. I see it as a, as a way to unwind very quickly, but then something that for the next day or the next two days after that, sometimes after a very small amount of alcohol, especially if I've been stressed or under pressure, it has such a negative effect on me that sometimes the whole weekend's written off. You know, I'm just not myself. I then eat badly and it just becomes I don't work out and then it's just been this vicious cycle. So it hasn't until really recently that I've started to, with you, as we've started to develop this more wellness, well-being, design, idea, purpose, that I now see that as way more important than that desire to have that quick fix of, you know, alcohol or use alcohol to relieve uh, the pressure in the moment or to it be so necessary to be confident or in a social setting. I've, I haven't been drinking for quite a few weeks now and I, I feel more confident than I ever have. I am 
continuously motivated and driven and are moving forward without these constant roadblocks that I used to put in my own way. So it's I don't know where it's going to go. I don't know where this journey's heading or what what is going to happen. But I'm I'm so grateful to myself because no matter how many times you've tried to help me sort of make those tweaks it has to come from within you you can't somebody can't tell you what to do and it's just in the last few weeks or months has really come to the forefront for me of knowing what I need to do to be really the best person and version of myself and also to achieve all the goals that I I want to achieve personally and, and with you as we set out on this particular journey. One thing I do remember, though, that you were very strict on connected with your eye health was cutting out sugar. That's obviously a really hard thing to do because apart from sweet treats, desserts, sugar is in so many things. Do you feel like making a decision like that for it to be sustainable helped you for be, connect, be directly connected to a to something that you feel you were in control of your own health and making sure that something like what you were going through wouldn't repeat. Is that a connection that you made to that decision? And is that what you feel like made you be really uh, strict and very consistent? I mean, primarily still really strict with it and consistent. Yeah, Joe, I completely overlooked that. It was kind of a self-diagnosis. I remember when I was reading a lot about eyes and going through that process that People with diabetes can often suffer a lot of eye issues and actually go blind because the retina is such a sensitive area of the body that when uh, people with diabetes have, you know, insulin issues, that's one of the first places because it's so sensitive they can get attacked. So I took it upon myself and I just kind of made this up like, okay, well, if I want to protect my eye health, I should probably cut out sugar. And I remember I did. I. I kind of like 100% would would not eat it at all um, and didn't find it a problem because it was driven by this desire to make sure I didn't repeat what had just happened, even though it wasn't necessarily caused by sugar, um, but was just protecting the future of my eyesight and pretty much have maintained that. Actually, beginning of this year, I was taking some medication for something else, which I never have to do. And for some reason, it gave me a craving for sugar and I found myself eating it again. And I quickly went through that process and stopped. So um, I'm not like 100%. I mean, I know there's a sugar from a health reason. I have that and I have it for my eyes. And I'm pretty good. I will occasionally have a little bit of sugar as a really small treat. But it's not something that I I eat on a daily basis. Um, yeah. So, But that was spurned by a, a health concern more than a you know a, a kind of fitness well wellness concern or initiative now thinking about having gone through that real health scam and it was pretty scary for us like you mentioned it was at the same time starting a company trying to stay in the country getting roots again and growing roots again thinking about the wellness is there any um is there anything because the when you start your own company obviously it's very stressful very hectic we've been through that before you were explaining the amounts of hours we worked so it was getting back pretty much on that same cycle but having had that health scare was there a different consciousness for you to do it in a, in a different way like in a different capacity using 
either wellness tools, thinking about certain methods. Is there something that you influenced into the into the work life now, not to feel that same but getting so stressed out that it could be a health scare again? Yeah, quickly. I said to myself, never again, when, and for you too, is like, we're not doing that. We're not working 80 hours a week, 70 hours a week. We don't need to. And it's not about getting lazy or not working hard. It was like, no, we're going to work really smart. And also there's something that we've always, what used to happen is for our team, we would always give them that work-life balance and then we would pick up the slack. And it was like, no, we're going to do this as a team. And we have never been a company that has forced people to work late or long weekends because I think that speaks directly to us as an inefficient managerial role that we're either don't have enough staff, we're not managing our projects properly, we're not managing our clients correctly. So we took it upon ourselves to say, no, we're going to set bigger boundaries with our clients. We are going to, you know, do a great job, but do it in a timely and efficient way, which means that, you know, Everyone just works a good, solid eight hours a day um, doing a relaxed professional environment and can go home and have some free time, time with their family, have their weekends free. That really brought more of a balance back to our life and just took that pressure off um, of trying to be perfect all the time, learning to say no more. Um, I've always been a yes person. Yes, because it got me accepted into social groups. Um, when you went with the flow or didn't have an opinion, then you could just kind of mingle in. But I've learned now that you got to stand up for who you are and what you believe in. So, and you know, we're doing that more with our business about now about making sure we are taking on projects that have real purpose and that we truly believe and connect with that with that client and their mission on. Are there any other wellness strategies, tools that you use today, routines that you've built? You were mentioning a little bit more recently that there was a expanded consciousness around that. Is there anything else that you can share that works really well for you? What you're maybe still exploring, but you kind of can see the benefits of? I've always been somebody that has followed similar patterns. It's just like, this is the way I am. This is where I'm always going to be. Just, it's Ben. That's just me. And then last year we did a, a ton of coaching to help us both personally and in our businesses. And that was a huge eye opener for me because we learned a lot of pattern recognition in that, that you can start to see the things that you do consistently and why it is that you're doing them. So if you can change your why, then you'll start to change your patterns and, and the reasons you do things. and prioritizing things that become more purposeful and that's something that's really happened to me lately is that I've finally taken all that I've learned and applying it to this this purpose around wellness well-being and design and helping other people now allows me to focus on myself so that I can hopefully be um, the best version of myself as I said earlier so that what we're delivering has weight and merit and can really truly help other people both personally and in our business as we explore more and more in the um, design and wellness aspects one thing i i learned and we both learned was that to find true fulfillment 
is about growth and contribution. And that has really resonated with me. So I've always felt I'm always growing, but I didn't necessarily feel like I was contributing much beyond doing what we're doing for ourselves as the business, obviously in the hospitality industry, delivering projects, hotels, restaurants, which people can enjoy. But there was a bit too much ego at times in that for me. So as I feel us exploring more in the wellness realm and dedicating a lot more of our time and passion to that, I feel that that's an environment where we can have more purpose, more contribution to actually helping change other people's lives. And what's been fascinating seeing you mentioned we designed uh, Savannah uh, a few years ago now and we're still working on phase two now that that really opened our eyes to what a, a wellness destination can be and how it can really help transform people what we're seeing more and more as this evolves especially post pandemic is wellness and well-being destinations are way beyond a treatment room it's this whole encompassing approach to life that we are discussing ways to make sure that's daily touch points. So it's not this once a year, twice a year, mega um, destination retreat. That's a huge part of it and is, is, is very important. But it's what can we do on a daily basis? And often we don't need a ton of tools to do that. It's, it, it's having a purpose and finding a why. And I know for me, especially when it comes to alcohol, that finding finding that purpose of helping other people through personal interaction and also through our design business, it makes my it makes that satisfaction through um, alcohol, which I thought was a stress reliever, or I thought gave me more confidence irrelevant or unimportant so that if at any point I do drink again or have a drink in a social situation it's purely because of that moment in time and it's not a vice that I'm using to help fix another problem or give me that quick escape or numb me for a moment or whatever it might be it's quite a big shift isn't it yeah it's a huge shift for me and but it it feels it feels right and I don't want to Put my. I don't want to sit here in a year time and go. Oh, you know, I managed it for two months and I'm back on it. Whatever it will be, it will be. But I know this moment in time, it has completely changed my outlook on so many aspects of my life that I don't see how I would go back to the old Ben um, at this point hmm. in time. On that note, and to wrap things up as well, is. We've learned a lot about where you've come from. We've learned about your culture, your upbringing. You're very honest opening up about your anxieties, about health challenges. So really thank you for being really honest on that path and giving us a real glimpse into what makes you you personally and and on the business side as well, What architect, how architecture forms through that with you. If you can think back in time being your nine-year-old, what advice would you give your nine-year-old today? Your nine-year-old self. There's probably a few things. Some things are cliched. It's kind of life short, you know, just don't hang around. Um, I think I would have told myself to be more confident. Um, there were, I was always pretty good at sport, hockey, cricket, um, golf. 
um, those two, uh, cricket and hockey, I gave up. You know, I got to a reasonable standard, but never to the standard of my peers. Golf the same. I was fairly natural at it, but didn't reach my potential because I wasn't confident. I was, I was too worried about what other people thought of me or hitting the wrong shot and being criticised. Whereas now I'm playing the best golf of my life. I got a handicap of three, um, and that's because I'm more confident and I'm doing it for myself and learning those those tools so and probably the other thing was yeah find real purpose i i've always been somebody who cared and as like to help people and i think that's still who i am today i'm just reframing it now by taking myself out of the equation and just doing it purely from a selfless point of view so I think that's that's important. I don't know if I've truly answered your question, but it's kind of a mixture of things. But yeah, just just being, I think being confident and being, I didn't ever value myself. I don't think as much as other people. I always put myself as a second place to everybody else. Like if everybody else is all right, then I can be all right. Whereas I know that's not really a healthy way to live. Um, and what I understand now is that the better, stronger, more confident, person I can be the more I can help the more I can give so it's there's a there's definitely a care package on myself to that I can then put back out into the world so yeah and don't wait to be pushed push yourself I love that I think that's a really good um, that's a really good final note anything else on your mind that you feel like we haven't touched on that you wanted to share or I don't think so. I think I'm just, I'm super excited about this platform. I mean, this is one of those moments where we are pushing ourselves. And like you mentioned last week, if something we say or in future episodes when we have guests on, if we can help somebody 1% um, have a better day or become better than they were yesterday, then, you know, we've we've done our job of what this platform's about. But um, we're looking to expand it a lot. We wanted to leave, give some context to the audience about who we are so they can to relate to our, our background and we'll be getting much deeper into all aspects of wellness and well-being with this association with design of how the buildings we occupy or go to can facilitate an active role in our wellness journeys that's good i'm um, yeah i'm really excited like you said the foundation is set and now we're just going to see where it goes from here perfect well thank you and see you next week thank you see you next week